Welcome to the Maritime Executives Podcast Series, In the Know. I'm Tony Munoz, Editor-in-Chief. Our Executive Corner Podcast will provide conversations with top executives concerning events and issues that are shaping our industry today. We will also bring you up to speed with the latest news and editorials covered by the Maritime Executive. This podcast is brought to you by Triton Software Corporation, one of the few companies best positioned to assist with the management and containment of coronavirus. Triton Software is the number one provider for health and safety software systems for the maritime industry. The company specializes in the best ship and shore operations software, offering fleet-wide visibility regarding the health, safety, and compliance of the organization. In terms of COVID-19, Triton Software clients are using their capabilities to manage outbreaks, perform contact tracing and isolation, and issue critical notifications to all essential personnel. To learn more, visit their website at tritansoft.com or call 1-877-299-1000. Welcome to the Maritime Executive Magazine podcast, In the Know. I'm Paul Benecki. Since December 2019, the novel coronavirus, or COVID-19, has spread throughout the world. The outbreak and the public health response have had a serious impact on every sector of the maritime industry. Global cruise lines have halted operations, container carriers have had to blank dozens of sailings, and offshore operators are looking at a severe downturn in the oil market. For today's episode, Maritime Executive Editor-in-Chief Tony Munoz brought together three experts from maritime law, medicine, and port operations to talk about this global challenge. Dr. Art Diskin is the Global Medical Director for Future Care, a global 24-7 maritime medical call center for medical emergencies and primary health care advice for captains at sea. Future Care's professionals assist the captain in treating and medically monitoring their crew members while underway and in port. The company has four maritime-specific call centers in Beijing, Manila, Johannesburg, and the USA. Paul Anderson, President and Chief Executive Officer of Port of Tampa, is a former Federal Maritime Commissioner. He was nominated to the FMC by President George W. Bush in 2003 and was confirmed by the Senate for a five-year term. Mr. Eric Kravitz is the founding partner of Kravitz & Kravitz, a maritime and admiralty law firm based in Cuxhaven, Germany. He is also a lecturer at the State Maritime College of Cuxhaven and Bremerhaven University of Applied Sciences. Gentlemen, welcome. Um, Dr. Diskin, could you introduce yourself to us? Yes, hi. Um, My name is Dr. Arthur Diskin. background is emergency and critical care medicine. Uh, I am currently, amongst other things, the uh, global medical director for uh, future care, which provides case management for uh, crew and the cargo and, and cruise line industry. Um, I passed the vice president and global chief medical officer for Royal Caribbean Cruise Lines and prior to that, medical director for Carnival Cruise Lines. Thank you. And uh, we have Mr. Paul Anderson, President and Chief Executive Officer of Port of Tampa. Uh, Paul, please introduce yourself to our audience. Uh, yes, uh, Paul Anderson, uh, Service President, uh, Chief Executive Officer of Port Tampa Bay, uh, currently uh, uh, running Florida's largest and most diversified port, both by cargo and tonnage. And uh, we also have joining us from Germany, Mr. Eric Kravitz, uh, founding partner of Kravitz & Kravitz, a mar- maritime and admiralty law firm based in Cuxhaven, Germany. Eric, please introduce yourself. Yeah, thanks, Tony. So uh, I'm Eric Kravitz. I uh, have been practicing in maritime law for many years now, and our clients are mostly uh, 
shipyards, ship owners doing blue water operations, offshore work, pillage salvage, uh, and some uh, ship brokering uh, as well. And uh, I'm happy to provide whatever European perspective I can on uh, the coronavirus. And I appreciate uh, being brought on to this podcast. Nice to meet you all. Thank you. And uh, Paul Benecki, uh, Paul, uh, please introduce yourself. My name is Paul Benecki. Uh, I'm the uh, Americas and Europe editor for Maritime Executive Magazine and for our online news site. And I'm really glad that uh, you all had time to join us today. Uh, gentlemen, thank you today. Let's start with uh, Paul Anderson. Paul, um, what is going on in the Port of Tampa? Could you please give us some perspective? Happy. Tony, uh, um, as this uh, global crisis has progressed uh, over the past several weeks, uh, we went from no no interruptions with respect to our cruise business. Uh, uh, Port Tampa Bay's cruise business, uh, currently uh, about uh, six vessels, four cruise lines, home ported at Port Tampa Bay. Last year, we had, a, a for, for our port, a record of 1.2 million cruise passengers come through the port. Um, uh, as uh, we started approaching last week, it became apparent that we would uh, very likely begin to see operations um, stopped. And, uh, and in fact, uh, at this point, uh, as everybody knows, cruise ships have uh, they discharged their last passengers two days ago. Um, I am actually uh, in a uh, position where I'm seeing five cruise ships at anchor about uh, five miles offshore in the Gulf of Mexico. We currently have five vessels at uh, lay berths uh, in the Port of Tampa. Uh, of course, they only just have crew on board. Um, this um, I've been on calls with both our U.S. Senators uh, and uh, Secretary of Transportation and my colleagues around the state. This is having a significant impact on uh, Florida from an economic standpoint. Uh, Florida has 13 and a half million cruise passengers a year. So uh, it's just a different time uh, in our nation's, in our global history to uh, see this happening. And it, and it really is hitting home um, to see these ships uh, just uh, at berth, at anchor with no passengers, uh, no visible activity. Dr. Diskin, uh, can you give us uh, your perspective of what you're dealing with in Miami and with the uh, Future Care Global System, which is based throughout the world? Can you uh, give us a little perspective from your vantage point, please? So, some wearing my different hats, just from a, a citizen perspective, we're certainly seeing the impact here, and I live right near the cruise ships, and we have. A number of ships that are uh, at anchor, including uh, Virgin, that was has a brand new ship and was planning their inaugural cruise. So it's somewhat sad to see that sitting there. Uh, uh, their timing obviously was uh, not good. From an uh, emergency physician perspective, working in the ER, uh, we're seeing a large number of concerned citizens coming in with what probably is not uh, COVID, and we're seeing a lot of cases that. Uh, probably are. I suspect the number of cases out there is many times higher than what they're reporting, and we'll see that as we um, as we start a wider degree of testing. And I think that uh, most of the cases we're seeing are relatively mild. And then we have that subgroup of patients that are coming in uh, older, usually with comorbidities uh, and very sick. Um, with that, as far as 
what we're seeing with uh, future care, we really have not had much in the way of uh, crew uh, with respiratory illnesses on board. They're almost in a safe spot out there if you have a cargo ship full of crew that are relatively healthy and have not been in a high-risk area for the last 14 days. You you have a pristine uh, ship at this point. We early on had a couple of cases where crew uh, either didn't have uh, uh, a respiratory problem at all, but had been a crew from China and had been uh, um, on the ship for more than 14 days, and the port still did not want to disembark them for medical reasons totally unrelated to respiratory. So we've had some overreactions there and just a very fluid uh, fluid situation. Um, from trying to predict the reactions of different ports around the world. I think that will also be a very changing um, phenomenon as we move forward. Thank you. Um, Eric, um, tell us what's going on in Europe, please. Yeah, well, it's uh, an incredible slowdown. Everything is uh, being shut down right now and limited to essential uh, operations, and that includes the transport as well. Uh, regional rail is being scaled back. Many of the European Union countries have closed borders to each other, uh, and uh, we're, we're seeing a more or less complete rollback of all economic activity right now. So uh, bars, restaurants are closed, as everyone knows. Um, and in, in maritime terms, uh, what we're seeing is a lot of, uh, a lot of itineraries have been blanked. Uh, one of my clients is uh, dealing with the situation that uh, his customer no longer is moving cargo. So that's uh, going to have a knockdown effect as well, or knock-on effect, I think is what it's called specifically. Uh, and uh, we're seeing a lot of concern overall about the uh, duration of this crisis. So uh, if this lasts a few weeks, is it going to last a few months? What are the economic costs that are going to uh, be upon us if we uh, continue down this path for any length of time. So I think all of those ideas are on everyone's minds that I'm speaking to right now. I, I think we're all frightened, no doubt about it. Um, Dr. Viskin, can you tell us what the uh, coronavirus uh, virus is and what is the symptoms? And um, uh, are you suggesting that people come in and get tested? Do we have the ability? test all these people, um, and in particular, uh, what are the precautions that mariners take, and uh, what happens if uh, there's an onboard infection? Okay. Well, that was a lot of questions, so let me sort of take them one at a time. From as far as the virus is concerned, uh, the virus is an enveloped uh, virus that is uh, – spread by droplet. So the fact that it's an envelope virus means that it's relatively, it's relatively easy to kill on surfaces with sanitation, with chlorine-based products, and on your hands with anything that's over 60% alcohol. So that's sort of the good news. Uh, it's spread by droplet, which means it travels about six feet. There's been some reports that it lingers in the air. I'm not sure that those have been replicated yet or what to make of that yet, but in general, it's a heavier virus. It should drop to the ground within about six feet, and six feet has been considered to be the, the magic number for social distancing. Do not get within six feet of any other 
person other than your family. Um, the it is not nebulized, which uh, is a you know is, is a very good issue. It's relatively communicable. It's more communicable than the flu, less communicable than measles. It um, person is infected, probably somewhere around two and a half to three people uh, are infected. It binds to a receptor uh, deep in the lungs. Uh, most people have uh, are asymptomatic or have uh, minimal symptoms. Maybe it's a little cough for a couple of days. Uh, it starts usually about five days after they've been exposed. Uh, they probably shed virus starting on day four. So that one day of shedding virus before you know you're sick is uh, is an issue. Anybody who starts to feel poorly now with respiratory problems should uh, self-isolate uh, for probably <laughs> 14 days. And um, if they do have to go outside, they should wear uh, a simple face mask, not necessarily the N95, which are going to be in short supply. If they really, if there's a necessity or they want to go see the doctor, they should have a face mask. The, my encouragement would be anybody who is not short of breath, just stay home and don't worry about being tested. Uh, the people who should be tested are perhaps the people who have a cough and have risk factors. Maybe they're immunocompromised. Maybe they're HIV positive. They're over 65, uh, especially if they have any sort of high blood pressure, diabetes, or cardiovascular problems. Those people want to call their doctor and go get, uh, go get tested and anticipate that they may get more uh, short of breath and sicker. And for those patients, uh, earlier hospitalization seems to have uh, a positive effect on their uh, survival from the uh, from the virus. So it's two groups. You, with minor illness, you want to stay home. Uh, just assume you have it and, and stay home and don't infect anybody else and socially isolate. And if you get short of breath, then you want to go interact with the healthcare system uh, call your doctor and ask him what to do and where to go. And obviously, very short of breath, um, you want to go to the hospital. Please, please, from an emergency department perspective, do not come to the emergency department with a very minor uh, illness. We're currently being flooded. We're setting up tents outside of emergency departments to do nothing but screen people uh, to tell them you're not sick enough, go home, and not let them into the main emergency department. Uh, so what we can do right now is I think everybody's got a responsibility for the next few weeks, maybe as much as the next eight weeks, to try to completely isolate themselves uh, as much as possible, um, you know, stock up, get your food delivered, get your restaurant, support your local restaurants that have takeout and delivery services, you know, your local businesses as much as possible, but really try not to interact uh, with uh with other individuals for the next eight weeks. Um, the, Paul Anderson, um, Port of Tampa supports 85,000 direct and indirect jobs and contrib- contributes about $17 billion annually to the local economy. What, <laughs> all this hysteria is saying stay home. We're shutting down our offices where people are staying home. What's the impact on your on your economy and your port. Yeah, let me first start by um, answering in a positive way. Uh, the port remains uh, open. We're continuing to receive uh, regularly scheduled, uh, most importantly, um, uh, tankers with uh, 
petroleum. We are the uh, fuel gateway for uh, for Florida. We handle about 45% of all refined petroleum products that are consumed by Florida's 21 million plus residents and uh, the over 100 million visitors that visit Florida each year. Um, we have seen no skip sailings on the energy side. Uh, we had a few missed sailings, which are built into uh, the system. As a result, those would be Asian cargo vessels that are built in as a result of Chinese New Year each year. The way the industry, um, when you talk to folks around the country and around the world, this year, instead of a three-week uh, Chinese New Year, we had a six-week um, we did have some missailings. Again, they they were more or less built into the system. At this point, uh, no other uh, diverse products that we handle. I think uh, was pointed out earlier. The ships themselves, a crew of fifteen on average, depending on the vessel, are self-isolated in, in the nature of the way they sail. Uh, they would be on the ship. They don't disembark when they. Um, when they arrive, and the only interaction that they're having at this point is with a pilot getting on board the bridge. So we have maintained relatively normal operations. Um, the port itself, we've been uh, on uh, oh, uh, telework, which we have been doing for over four years um, in the port uh, itself. Uh, so it's been relatively normal. Uh, essential personnel, security, and operations, we've had no um, call-outs for uh, uh, sickness at this point. Um, our port complex is by far the largest in our state. It's 5,500 acres, uh, very secure, and by nature itself, uh, in a way, is a social distancing platform uh, on a normal basis. Uh, we, of course, have instituted all the protocols um, that, uh, that were just outlined by Dr. Driskin and the precautions. Those have been in place for uh, several weeks now. So um, while we're concerned, uh, we, we will be impacted by the cruise, a loss of cruise business on a revenue basis. We're looking at about, if we were to stay closed to cruise business for six months, we're looking at about $5 million of gross revenue impact to the port's uh, operating uh, budget. Um, but uh, the good news is... Um, we operate at about 50% net operating income, uh, and, and that, that's a little over $30 million annually as budgeted this year. So we would see about a 10% impact on our net income. Um, we're well positioned to uh, persevere. We have an 18-month operating reserve. Uh, so, again, our port itself has seen very little business interruption with the exception of the cruise line. Thank you. Um, Eric, um, you, give us the mood of your uh, – you're so connected to the shipping community. Uh, you are also a lecturer and educator. Uh, and um, so please give us a perspective of, you know, uh, lost business, lost opportunities, uh, the general feeling in Europe. Well, I, I think on the one hand – there is widespread support for the lockdowns that are occurring because a lot of people are obviously very concerned. And on the other hand, uh, I'm hearing a lot of input from business owners and politicians who are maybe in a better position to look at the bigger picture than people um, a little bit lower down on the food chain, so to speak, who um, 
who might not see the uh, fiscal impact immediately. They'll probably experience it later if the economy enters into a serious uh, recession or depression when they begin losing their jobs sometime in the months to come. Uh, but right now, um, the uh, the European welfare state is very comprehensive, and if people are sick, they get sick pay. Uh, that's worth about two-thirds of their regular paycheck for uh, almost an indefinite num- amount of time as long as they keep getting new doctor's notes. Uh, and if you lose your job, you can have unemployment insurance, which is also worth two-thirds of your last paycheck for up to a year. After that, you can qualify for welfare. So there really isn't any risk to the rank and file. Uh, but what I'm hearing from uh, slightly uh, higher-up instances is that uh, there's a real concern that uh, the revenue being lost right now isn't going to be made up. There's not going to be a bounce back. It's just going to be, uh, you know, think about it in terms of uh, what is the annual economy worth? Um, well, you're losing one or two months of that. And uh, it, a lot of this work can't simply be made up because um, it, it has to happen when it has to happen. And then later on, other work needs to be done. So in, in effect, that work will probably be lost out on. And I'm thinking in terms of construction, I'm thinking in terms of uh, uh, logistics projects. So for example, uh, if, if, one of, if, if one client of mine is supposed to have, let's say, uh, two sailings per month, and he loses two or four sailings, those sailings are gone. And they can't be made up because in the months to come, the sailings for that month need to be done. So I think that's really the issue that we're up against right now uh, in that in that sense. Dr. Diskin, I, are, are these restrictions warranted uh, from an economic standpoint, um, from a, a public health standpoint? Well, I think that one of the things that affects the, uh, the numbers are that you could, with a virus like this, see a 50% penetration. So if you saw 50% penetration in the U.S., you'd have 150 million cases. So even if you only ended up with a, uh, let's say, a, a 3% death rate, you know, 150 million times 15.5, you'd have about 4.5 million fatalities. You also have the issue that we only have so many ventilators and we only have so many hospitals and we only have so many healthcare providers. And if we start losing our health care providers to the illness, then we have a major crisis because then we don't have people to take care of the people with other problems that are still going on every day and all our medical needs. So the important now is that even if you're going to have 150 million cases, is that you flatten that curve and distribute the cases over a much longer period of time. So we have time to come up with medications. We have time to to come up with uh, uh, immunizations uh, to the virus, right? And we also have the issue that, you know, this virus sort of selects an elderly patient population, an older patient population, but not all the time. You know, so we've had, uh, you know, one of the first deaths in China was that 30-year-old doctor who was the sort of the one who first reported uh, the emergence of the illness in China. 
And, um, you know, so it's not universal that uh, we can't really just sort of, you know, sacrifice our 65-plus population in the interest of the global economy uh, because it's just not that simple besides the ethics of it. It's just not that simple. Uh, what way? In the long term, what we're learning from this virus was almost like, you know, when the Russians fired Sputnik to the moon, we had such an acceleration of technology and science in the U.S. I mean, when they fired Sputnik, that within 10 years we were able to put uh, men on the moon. I think that the positive that's going to come out of this, it's, not, it's a little bit more than the canary in the coal mine. But the next virus that comes up may not be so uh, benign to the younger population and future generations. So it may be the one that has a 50% mortality rate. So mm. I think that, um, you know, going through these exercises now and doing what we're doing, while it's very painful from a global economy standpoint, we really have no choice uh, but to do what we're doing right now because the, you know, the long-term implications of not doing that uh, are severe. I think the problem that we have is you are going to have a very financially pragmatic individuals who say, listen, you know, we can't contain it anymore. Let's just let it go through and distribute itself through the population and come out the other side as quickly as possible. And I don't think anybody has the total answer as to whether that's the right answer or the wrong answer. But I think as this goes on, you're definitely going to see segments of the population that say, look, you know, let's just go back to business as usual and whatever happens, happens. Wow. Uh, what about, what about, um, survivors? So there's, there's been a lot of attention on the fatality rate, of course, but there are also reports coming out of China that there may be lasting damage, uh, for people who had to go in for serious care, um, reductions in lung function, that sort of thing. Are you guys getting guidance on that? Right. So it's really, you know, the amount of information that we have on this virus compared to anything else in three months is, is unbelievable. Right. When you think about it compared to other illnesses that have taken a hundred years to work out, right? But I think a lot of that needs to be determined because, you know, if you take the question is if you have a 30 year old and they get this and they get severely ill, you know, how much, uh, healing is there? How much can occur? If you get somebody who's older, uh, I'm convinced that there's got to be permanent respiratory, uh, compromise even in those uh, even in those who survived. The, the CAT scans that they do on, um, people who are, who are severely ill show a significant amount of necrosis or dead lung tissue that probably in the long term will be replaced by scarring and not by normal lung tissue. Uh, these are older patients that got comorbidities, so even if they survive this episode, it probably decreases their life expectancy on the other end and limits, uh, may limit their they um, have an impact on their lifestyle and that they'll have some long-lasting respiratory compromise. Yeah. Um, uh, Paul Anderson, you um, you were the Federal Maritime Commissioner and uh, you also worked on the Committee of Marine Transportation, which oversees U.S. seaports. Um, what role do you see in the federal government dealing with seaports? Uh, or is that a... Uh, I mean, you represent uh, the Florida Council of Seaports. Uh, you're a president of that, if I'm not mistaken. What do you see the role? Is it more federal? Is it more state-oriented? Well, Tony, I, I believe that it, 
it, it should be all of the above. Um, this is a uh, uh, incident that is going to require all of the um, government governments uh, at every level working together. Primarily right now, I was on the phone earlier this morning with the, my counterpart at Customs Border Protection. Uh, it's imperative we do not have uh, uh, crew members disembarking when they uh, are at labor on these cruise ships. They're foreign nationals. They are not allowed. We need to maintain what's known as MARSEC, Maritime Security Plans, uh, our facility plans. Take that into account. Um, we have been working very closely, conference calls um, um, daily with the United States Coast Guard, who has primary control over uh, the security uh, of America's uh, ports, and they have responsibility for these maritime security plans for each port and each terminal. So um, the federal um, uh, part is very significant. On the other hand, uh, locally, our county um, sheriff's department are law enforcement partners in, in tandem with our security operations and our officers. They have arrest powers out on the port complex. Uh, and then at the state level, we, uh, on a call, uh, two days ago with the Secretary of Transportation for Florida, with all of my colleagues from around the state, um, uh, discussing if there's any needs, any special needs that we have to make sure that, uh, you know, our ports are gateways for commerce and, the last thing that we need is where you were um, the main uh, entrance for goods into the United States that we have a slowdown. That's why I mentioned fuel earlier. There are two primary fuel ports, uh, 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 Port Tampa Bay and uh, Port Everglades in Fort Lauderdale. And it's, uh, I think, vital right now we maintain that uh, supply chain uh, so that people do not have to go through any shortages on Fuel, there will be less demand, obviously, um, but it's vital that we use our federal, state, and local partners working together to maintain the supply chain. Uh, we've seen um, um, China starting uh, to recover from uh, from uh, uh, their uh, episode of uh, fighting this, and uh, their factories, the shipyards, we understand, are back up uh, and operating. Uh, they're starting to fully come back online. So we need to maintain the supply chain. We're going to do everything we can with uh, with our federal, state, and local partners to do that. Eric, um, you uh, in Europe, um, the riverway systems are really critical and vital to uh, many economies there. Um, and yet uh, they're, they're not like a seaport, ocean port. They're riverways. Uh, can you speak to that? Uh, sure. I, well, right now, I, I don't think there are very many restrictions uh, for uh, river transit. So what we're seeing, we're seeing a lot of um, road freight limitations. So there are more border checks, sanitation checks. Uh, they're measuring the temperature of truck drivers. Uh, and certain border crossings have been shut down across Europe so that all of the uh, in, incoming road traffic goes across certain checkpoints. Um, but uh, in terms of uh, sea freight as such, uh, and also river freight, so anything moving on, on the water, uh, it hasn't been subject to those kinds of limitations yet. Um, and uh, what, we, what we are seeing is uh, a dip in volume slightly right now. You know, I think the Chinese shutdown 
uh, led to a dip in, uh, in sailings, uh, and I think that will come back. Uh, but then the question remains, now that Europe and the United States and perhaps other parts of the world are also going through their own shutdowns, um, even if the Chinese part of the supply chain comes back online, uh, we have factories in uh, Germany and in Italy that are no longer manufacturing. Uh, Airbus has uh, ceased manufacturing. Uh, so there are going to be disruptions along the supply chain, I think, coming in kind of piecemeal over a period of time. And, and that makes it very difficult to uh, reevaluate the impact. Um, so I don't know if I answered your question about river freight yes, too you did. clearly, but um, – that, that's, I think, the overall situation and what we're up against right now. And then, you know, it remains to be seen. And obviously these, uh, you know, Dr. Duskin is completely correct about how horrible this, this virus is. Uh, and uh, I think what's on everyone's mind is, you know, even if we agree with all that, how long can we really afford to, to basically shut ourselves down? At some point, we all have to make sure that we have enough food on the table. And, um, you know, I don't know when we'll reach that inflection point, but at some point it will come. You know, I'm sure if someone were to say you have to shut down for two years, it just can't be done, I don't think. Uh, Paul Benecki, do you have any questions? Yeah, actually. So we've seen a a massive shutdown in the cruise industry. Uh, At least by my count, there are five ships so far that have had uh, infections on board. Obviously, the two very prominent cases aboard the Princess Cruises ships, and then three aboard smaller expedition ships in various parts of the world. Um, that isn't counting suspected cases. Uh, maybe there are another two, three uh, that may have infections on board and are remaining to be seen. But so, Doctor Diskin, I mean, are the shutdowns in the cruise industry warranted given the um, the infections that we've seen so far? Um, well, I think you saw. Uh, the princess uh, ship off the coast of Japan. Now, granted, no one had ever really dealt with that type of uh, situation before. So uh, I think now on a ship, things would be that was different. But I think that at some point, you develop what we call herd immunity. And we have this new virus and X number of people get sick with it, and then there's a certain resistance within the population, and the publicity goes down. You know, Zika and chikungunya have not completely gone away, but so many people got ill with that that we really don't see that much of the virus uh, at that point. That will eventually happen with this virus. It will work its way through the population, and enough people will get sick that it'll have a hard time sustaining itself. How long that takes and how many people die in the interim I think is the figure, and again, the tolerance to how long can we maintain the social isolation before we sort of, you know, give up and say we got to go back to normal um, and and bear the consequences. That's why flattening the curve becomes uh, becomes so critical. As far as the cruise industry is concerned, you know, the evolution of trying to kill norovirus, which is much much more difficult to kill than uh, coronavirus. It's because it doesn't have an envelope. And what the cruise lines have learned over the years in the way of sanitation makes the cruise ships in general to surface contamination uh, extremely clean and a place where it's very unlikely to catch infections. Uh, I don't recall in my eight years with the Royal Caribbean ever seeing a case of methicillin-resistant staff. 
for example. So the ships are otherwise very clean because it's in their business interest to not have norovirus outbreaks, right? But with a respiratory virus, with a respiratory virus, you have the issue of people spreading it by droplet. And if it's a very communicable virus and you have a predominantly older guest population on the ship, you're going to get a lot of cases. And out of those cases you're going to get, a number of them are going to uh, be uh, severe. And then what are you going to do with those people in the middle of the ocean? So I think the impact is certainly going to be on those cruises for a longer period of time where the older guests are advised not to go. You know, the three- and four-day party cruises, college party cruises, could probably return uh, sooner, at least that's sort of my opinion uh, on that. But it is the, the communicability and the newness of the virus, I think, is something that's going to be under consideration for a while. Yes. Um, uh, Paul Anderson, do you run Port of Tampa has a huge um, um, passenger complex? I understand that you're using a new technique to clean. We, uh, um, about uh, four weeks ago, um, were introduced to a new product that uh, that we were not familiar with and uh, been, has been used uh, by sport, uh, sports franchises, both NHL, Major League Baseball, uh, and NFL franchises, uh, Department of Defense. It was a product that was... Uh, um, that will uh, uh, have a 30-day impact on, on the virus, uh, as we're told by scientists in their tests. And we started including that as a secondary treatment after cleaning of the facilities. Uh, um, it is uh, a company out of South Carolina. It was originally a Dow product that they had uh, uh, acquired the rights to. And uh, it's my understanding now that uh, our airport here in Tampa is used at Port Canaveral. Um, and uh, proves to be very just promising, although the point is moot now with our cruise lines being shut down. But we saw it as another way, adding another layer of proto- in our protocols of cleaning to provide some confidence and reassurance as cruise passengers were coming in and out through our terminals um, that uh, we could maintain um, uh, just a, another level of uh, protection. We're coming up against the clock here, and um, and so I'd like to have each one of you um, finish with a, a, a statement that our audience will hear from you. Eric, could you start us off, please, in Europe? Yeah, sure, Tony. Uh, well, you know, it's uh, this is an incredibly uh, trying time. I, I talked to my dad, who's uh, 76, uh, yesterday. I asked him, have you ever experienced anything like this? He said, well, polio to some extent, but this is a completely different order of magnitude. And uh, I think this is, a, this is a situation that no one who is alive right now has ever experienced. And... Uh, it's impossible to make predictions, and right now I think uh, politicians are trying to handle it the best they can. Businesses are trying to handle it the best they can, and uh, you know, making making certain trade-offs or not making certain trade-offs or uh, doing certain things or not, uh, it's all, it's all incredibly uh, uncertain. And as long as we have that uncertainty, uh, there's going to be uh, uh, a lot of uh, agonizing. Uh, and there's going to be a lot of suffering uh, 
Uh, and, uh, you know, I think we should definitely prioritize, uh, uh, human health. And, uh, I, I just hope we get through this in, uh, in enough time that we'll also have something resembling the prosperity that we had before. And, uh, I think it's a, a real concern for a lot of people that, uh, that certain things will just be gone on the other end of this. And uh, that's not just limited to shipping either. Paul Anderson, uh, would you like to say something about this as well, please? And it's really important that our uh, world and our nation especially uh, uses, uh, when, when we get through this, which we will, it'll uh, depend on what the consequences ultimately are. We use this with great reflection. How do we make ourselves better? Some of the things that we're finding out, stockpiles, supplies, um, the research dollars for vaccinations that weren't funded um, previously, and a number of other areas, how do we become better and how do we better protect ourselves? I would also say there's a whole generation who've never been through a time like this, a 9-11 type of event. Um, I think it's really important that particularly the younger generation learn from this, that the world can be a very fragile place. It's very dynamic and fluid. Uh, I think uh, we will come out better and stronger is my hope. Um, and I, I, I pray that, that uh, this ends very quickly. Uh, our supply chain is critical. We're going to do everything we can to maintain that. Dr. Diskin, some parting words, please. Um, well, I think I made uh, some of the points I made about our, our response to those who are Social isolation, our responsibility for, you know, taking care of our older uh, neighbors and friends uh, during this period, maybe helping them to socially isolate. You know, this 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 virus will pass. You know, I think that's the one thing we know. It um, it will eventually work its way through the world's population and just become another one of the list of viruses that we are exposed to. But to emphasize the point, this is a, a very sad but critical opportunity to learn. You know, we're seeing now what the, uh, you know, we have a much cleaner environment at the moment, but we're also seeing the uh, socioeconomic impact of stopping the airlines and shipping and and all the different uh, things of which we become so dependent upon economically. Uh, we also have the ability to uh, again, take a look at things like stockpiles, uh, like whether or not the majority of the world's medications should come from one country or that we really need a, a very strong manufacturing redundancy for the world's pharmaceuticals. Uh, from the U.S. perspective, we really need to bring the manufacturing of all the pharma, key pharmaceuticals back into the country. So um, we're learning. Uh, it's a very painful lesson, but uh, uh, but we're learning. Gentlemen, thank you so much for your insight. Thank you. We'd like to thank this podcast sponsor, Triton Software Corporation. For all your shoreside and onboard medical care, contact Triton Software at www.tritansoft.com or dial 1-877-299-1000. Thank you for listening to In the Know, the Maritime Executive Magazine podcast. We hope you'll join us again for our next exciting discussion on maritime technology, business, and policy. In the meantime, 
Please visit us online at www.maritime-executive.com for the latest news and views from around the industry.